As, as Travis said, uh, today is starting a new series where we're looking at our mission and our vision as uh, a church. Uh, we're going to seek to give a clear picture of uh, what we're all about and how we are, the direction that we're pursuing um, uh, together. So as he said, it's called uh, Always One More. It's a, uh, trying to solidify that the heartbeat that, that each one of us is engaged in mission, starting with that one person that God has put on our hearts and what we can do to reach out um, to them. Um, now, our life groups, as he said, will be um, aligning with that as well, not just saying, oh, here's what we talked about on Sunday, but really trying to use that as an equipping time, a time for us to uh, dig deeper into this and, and to work together in community to actually grow as uh, stronger disciples uh, of Jesus. And then also in the uh, little pockets in the chairs in front of you, you'll notice these. Uh, this is a personal worship guide. Um, just for clarification, uh, the person you're worshiping is not yourself, so it's not I'm worshiping personally myself, but it's personal worshiping uh, the God that we gather to worship uh, together on Sundays. Uh, throughout the week, uh, there are opportunities. There's uh, Every day of the week, there's um, an opportunity to uh, get into the Word, to reflect on that, um, and to ask God to really grow us. But we, we encourage you to, to grab one of these uh, today. If you run out in your um, uh, chair racks, there's more in the display in the foyer as well. But this is an opportunity for us to uh, make this personal and to grow in community. And this is what we're really trying to do. We're trying to learn what it means to be disciples of Jesus and to really pursue that uh, with everything we have. So there are a few guides there, and we'll talk about a little bit more about the details of that as we get deeper into uh, this series. But as we prepare to open God's Word uh, together, please join me in prayer right now. God, we thank you that you are a good God. I thank you um, for sending your son Jesus to rescue us. I thank you for the cross that he died to offer us forgiveness of sins and the guilt has been removed uh, from us. We thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf. We didn't deserve it and yet he demonstrates your great love through that. And then we thank you for his resurrection, that he didn't stay dead, but he showed the, the great victory, your great victory over sin and darkness and death forever. And I pray that we, as we open your word right now, you would show us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus himself. Amen. Now, I realize that as we talk about mission and vision, these kind of things, um, it's the kind of thing that church leaders talk a lot about, but I realize that that's probably not true for everyone in the room. Uh, so I look at contexts where I'm on the other side, not in leadership, but on the other side as a participant, and, and I realize that, well, I just am not always right there. It's not in the forefront of my mind. Um, so uh, recently I, I went to uh, pick up my kids from school and I ended up in, in a little foyer area of the school and I noticed that uh, on the wall there was a little uh, plaque that had the mission statement of the school. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. I had some time. So I walked over there and I, and I read what the mission statement is. And this is what it said. Uh, Franklin Elementary students will develop a passion for learning as well as the motivation to set and achieve their own goals with support from school staff and families. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good mission statement for a school, right? But then I thought, well, how many people outside of the administrators and maybe the teachers are aware that that statement even exists, let alone that that is what is uh, driving the, the mission of uh, that school? And we've got a few other uh, Franklin, student, uh, Franklin parents here. Did, did you know that this even existed? Had anyone actually seen that in the hallway? Or if, if I gave you like a multiple choice, like do you think you would have been able to like pick that one out of the list? I, I don't think I would have been able to. I was talking to uh, my wife yesterday about this and saying, okay, what, what do, I was kind of quizzing her. What do you think? 
think the uh, mission statement is, and she did much better than I did, but I would have come up with something like, I don't know, you, you teach kids the basics. I mean, don't think too much about it. This is just what you do. You're in elementary school. You just kind of teach kids. But, but I think there's a, a gap sometimes between what we say our mission is and kind of the perception of what really is uh, driving an organization. And I think probably the gap is, is most pronounced when you look at uh, business mission statements. I, I always laugh at these things. I'm like, why do you have a mission statement as a business? I, I found a, uh, a mission statement generator online. They actually walk you through steps, and they kind of start off with an action word and these really kind of uh, important-sounding descriptors that you can add there. And they actually have a button that you can push that can automatically generate a mission statement for you. So I absolutely decided to do that. And here's what I came up with. Here's the mission statement for this theoretical organization that I'm going to start. Our goal is to objectively negotiate equity-invested imperatives and continue to appropriately leverage, leverage existing low-risk, high-yield process improvements as well as to professionally administrate timely opportunities and to approach our jobs with passion and commitment. Boom, that is the kind of organization that you want to work for, right? I think, I, I think every time I see a mission statement for a for-profit business, I always think, you know what? Let's just be honest here. You're here to make money. Your mission is to make money. Don't, let's just be honest and get that right out the front. That's what you're about. So there's the mission statement, but then there's the perception of, well, if we're honest, what are we really about? And you might think the same thing when it comes to church. So our mission statement is that we're here to make more and stronger disciples of Jesus. So it's, it's not a real fluffy or complicated statement. It doesn't have a lot, have a lot of uh, important-sounding adjectives. But here's my hunch. I bet that we think sometimes that a more honest mission statement is to get people to come to church, to get people to sit in the pews, right? And maybe sometimes to get them to uh, give money too. And we have to admit that, that at our worst, we can digress to that level of thinking and be content simply with gathering people together uh, into a building. And, and we have to admit that if more people do come on Sundays, well, we tend to feel pretty good about ourselves, so is that what always one more means? Is it just about gathering more people on a Sunday morning? Well, there is so much more than that. We have to see that that's not what this is all about. Our mission is not just to get more people to come. Our mission is to make disciples. So this morning, we're going to work to start to understand what that means. We're going to look at a story that Jesus tells to challenge what we think church is all about. So we want to gain some clarity on what it means for us to pursue this mission of making more and stronger disciples of Jesus. So grab a Bible. We're going to look at this story together. Uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. You can use your phone if you want. Uh, you can grab a Bible from the chair rack in front of you. Uh, Matthew 13 is found on page 1520 of uh, the Bibles and the chair racks. So Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. As we look at this story together, we're going to, see, uh, we're going to be challenged to, to rethink a couple things here. We're going to see a couple challenges emerge from this. So the first challenge we see kind of comes out of this story that Jesus tells. So here's how Matthew 13 is set up at the beginning, starting in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. 
Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, at one level, you're hearing Jesus tell this story, and it might sound like it's just a nice little story about farming. You know, as you plant seed, some of it's going to produce a crop, and some of it's not going to produce a crop. But then that last little phrase he used alerts us that there is more to the story. Whoever has ears, let them hear. In other words, we're supposed to discern that there's something larger going on here. There's a deeper reality that this story is pointing to. It's not just about farming in the ancient world. And so his disciples ask him what this is about. Verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Now, there's a lot that we could look at here, but we won't look in detail other than to to recognize that as Jesus is telling stories like this, it's not just a nice story. He's telling us about the kingdom of God. He's telling us important things about his own mission and the mission of God in the world. And if we're ever to understand what he's really talking about, we actually have to hear it from him. He has to give us ears to hear it and explain it to us. And in his grace, he explains to his disciples, and so we can hear too, what this is all about. Verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So this is about what happens when people hear the message of the kingdom of God, the good news that God sent Jesus to rescue and to redeem and that he is blessing the world by extending his rule where he is acknowledged as king around the globe. This is really great news, but people receive it differently. Some people are going to hear that message and it's just in one ear and out the other. They don't really consider it. They don't care about it at all. You might as well be talking about some pyramid scheme that you join that you are, think are gonna, is going to make a bunch of money and, and you invite them to be part of it too. Or you might as well be asking them to join some nerdy club that you just joined. Hey, you want to join? Yeah, no thanks. That's not, that's not for me. See, it just doesn't strike them as good news. Well, why is that? 
Jesus says it's because the evil one snatches away the message so they can't actually perceive it. They don't understand that it is actually the best news in the world. That's the seed that falls on the road. The, the, the birds take it and it doesn't produce any crop at all. It doesn't grow at all. Now, other people are going to hear the message and they'll see that it really is good news. But they never really get past the excitement of initially hearing the message. And so they don't grow roots that can sustain them when a challenge comes along. And so when difficult things come up, and difficult things will always come up, then they very quickly walk away. Well, this is not what I signed up for. Jesus must not be real. That's the seed that falls on the rocky ground. It looks really promising at first. It, It sprouts, but then it withers because there's no root. Now, other people will hear the message and they will receive it and they will welcome Jesus into their lives and they will consider themselves to be followers of Jesus. They're they're calling themselves Christians. But there are a lot of different things going on in their lives. So they like Jesus, but they like some other things too. And so rather than than Jesus becoming the central part of their life and what uh, the foundation of their lives, well, Jesus is just added to the other things that are already there. So they, they will come to church services, but really the, their heart is, is motivated and drawn to things like their kids or their job or their health or something else. There is something else that is driving their life that's not Jesus. That means that Jesus isn't the center of their lives. He's not the one foundational love that directs the whole course of their life. And that means that the growth of hearing the message is really choked out. It can't actually produce any fruit. And that's the seed that falls among the thorns or the weeds. The soil is already occupied, so it doesn't produce any crop. But there are other people who will hear the message of God's kingdom, and they'll get it. They understand. They they get that it both demands everything from them and is the best news in the world. And so they become disciples of Jesus, totally devoted to following him in every aspect of their lives. Jesus changes, he becomes the foundation of their very lives, and they are transformed. They become people whose lives are increasingly marked by the gospel. And that's the the seed that falls on good soil. It's fruitful. It produces a really great crop, a hundred times or sixty times or thirty times what is sown. So why is it important for us to hear this story that Jesus uh, is talking about? Well, it's really, it's, it's challenging us to rethink uh, discipleship. And, and let's be clear on this. When we talk about being a disciple of Jesus, that, that means being a Christian. So if you think there's a category of, of Christian that's not a disciple of Jesus, uh, that, that's a, a misconception of what this is about. Being a disciple means following Jesus in, in everything. So, so let's be clear on, on what this means and what this parable is, is talking about here. Being a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean that I prayed a prayer asking Jesus into my heart when I was 10 years old, right? I mean, the, the soil that was uh, rocky soil, the rocky soil guy, he, he would have done that. Jesus is indicating that there's more to it than that. Being a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean that I come to a church service every Sunday morning. It doesn't mean that I I check Christian on a survey to indicate my religious preference. It doesn't mean that I give 10% of my money to the church. It doesn't mean that I am a member of a church. It doesn't mean that I go to life group every week. I mean, the thorny, weedy soil guys might do some or all of those things. The only kind of soil that is any use to the farmer is the seed that produces a crop at the end. So what that means for, for looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that what matters is, is fruit, that there's something produced in, in us. 
Now, that can be an, an ambiguous kind of a statement. What does it mean to have fruit in our lives? What does it mean for the gospel to bear fruit? Uh, in short forms, it means that, that our life is totally transformed by meeting Jesus. So it's also a broad category. And the Bible talks in a lot of different ways about what this looks like. And one of the most fundamental of these is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So as the, the Spirit applies the message of the gospel, this good news of God's kingdom into our hearts, it transforms who we are. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about this, this fruit. First, it talks about what used to uh, categorize our lives and, and anger and deceit and all these kind of things. And then it talks about the fruit that the Spirit produces in us. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of God's kingdom in our lives that, that Jesus is talking about here is that fruit. So if our lives are increasingly marked by those characteristics and decreasingly marked by what used to rule our lives, that's showing that the gospel is doing something in our hearts and it's doing something in our lives. In Colossians chapter 1, it talks about the fruits of good works and the fruit of knowing God more and more and the fruit of being thankful and pouring out our praise to God more and more. That too is the fruit that the Spirit enacts in us as we encounter Jesus. It's a transformed life of holiness, of good works. In 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, it talks about what it looks like to have the, the gifts given to us by the Spirit, whether that's prophecy or service or encouragement or generosity or, or serving or, or leading or having acts of mercy. These are gifts that the Spirit gives us to be able to minister in the church, to minister in the fellowship of those who follow Jesus. In Romans 1, Paul talks about wanting to have a harvest among the people in Rome, and that harvest there is more believers. So all these things are wrapped up in showing us what it looks like to have the kingdom of God bearing fruit in our lives. It's about growing deep roots that then produce the good fruit of transformation, righteousness, justice, and then reaching out with this message to others. If people have ever wondered what our, our tree logo is all about, that's what it is. It's about saying we don't want to uh, stagnate. And we don't want to have superficial growth. We want to have deep roots that then grow a vibrancy in our lives that then spreads through our community as well. Now, in terms of our mission statement, we can condense all of that thing down to say this is about us becoming stronger disciples of Jesus who make more disciples of Jesus. But as we say those kind of things, recognize that that is shorthand for a huge picture of transformation. When, when Jesus talks about that, that crop that's produced, the fruit that's going on here, keep in mind that whole bigger picture. It's a whole life of transformation by encountering Jesus. So as Jesus is telling this story, we're really challenged to, to rethink our picture of what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Anything less than, than the transformation, whole life transformation that produces the fruit of righteousness as the Spirit empowers us to live a holy life pointing others to Jesus and telling them about him is less than what's envisioned here. And yet how often have we settled for much less than that when we think about what it means to make disciples and to be a disciple of Jesus? But not only are we challenged to rethink discipleship as a church, we're also challenged to look in the mirror and to think about ourselves. Where do we fit into this picture? So as Jesus is elevating the picture of what it means to respond to the gospel here, he's also offering it an implicit challenge to consider ourselves. 
well, where do I fit in this story? How have I responded to the gospel? Is my life truly fruitful? Is the gospel really producing in me a harvest? And remember, Jesus challenges his listeners, whoever has ears, let them hear. Yeah, I think it's very hard for us to actually open up our lives to this kind of critical self-examination. We hear someone saying something like this, and it's easy for us to assume that we know where we fit in the story. And we're, of course, on the good side of this. We're the good soil. We're producing this crop of 30, 60, 100 times. But we can't pass over this too lightly. I remember when I was a freshman in high school, my, my youth pastor organized this um, three-day uh, bike trip for some of the, the people in the youth group. And, and it was uh, three days, and it was about 350 miles. So it was a, it was a pretty, um, you know, pretty ambitious kind of a thing. And this sounded like a lot of fun to me, and so I signed up. Now, what you have to understand is that at the time, I was about uh, five feet, uh, three inches tall, a uh, little bit of a chubby kid, still had my, my baby weight a little bit, hadn't grown up into the svelte manly form that I am today, a little bit of a late bloomer. Um, but at the time, I, I still considered myself uh, athletic. I considered myself strong. And I remember uh, having this conversation with my youth pastor in the weeks leading up to the trip. Uh, he sat me down in his office and he said, you know, I, I've got some concerns about some of the guys uh, who have signed up. And so I'm sitting there thinking, well, okay, uh, you know, Adam, he, he claims to be lazy, but, you know, he's really athletic, he's strong, he's much better than he would say, and, and Jason, he's a cross-country runner, he's in great shape, he'll do absolutely fine. I mean, Eric, he's the strongest guy I know, he works out more than anyone else. I, so I'm look, going through the list, I'm, I'm, everybody's great. And then so he just let it go. I left one person out of that mix, but he let it go, and we decided to go. Uh, so we went on the trip, and the whole time, guess who struggled to keep up? This guy, right? Like, I'm this 5'3 chubby kid. I can't keep up with these strong athletic guys. And so the whole time, I'm way back there in the pack, and they're having to try to, like, slow down and wait for me all the time. I'm embarrassed to say that it took me till college to realize what that conversation was really all about. See, I was so confident in, in my ability that I didn't even see it. It didn't even cross my mind that it could possibly be about me. And it was all about me. And so here... We hear Jesus talking about different kinds of soil, and it's very easy for, for a gathering like this where we are in a worship service on a Sunday morning to think, absolutely, I'm the good soil. I, that's me. But that can be a disastrous assumption. It's very easy to fool ourselves. See, it's possible to, to pray a prayer asking Jesus into our heart and to, to come to church functions and to come to church services and, and to go to Sunday school and to go to life group and to do all that and then just totally miss the point. So we're challenged to actually take a hard look in the mirror here, to look at what is going on in our lives. What soil am I? If I am going to be completely honest, as I open myself up before God, asking for the Spirit to examine my heart, what am I actually going to find here? Am I producing the kind of, of fruit that marks a person who has been transformed by Jesus? We have to make it personal. This has to be something that we, we allow ourselves the, the freedom to come before the throne of grace and to ask God's Spirit to show us who we truly are. This week we're going to spend some time in, in our life groups and in our uh, devotional time, our personal time of worship, digging a little bit deeper into this and, and reflecting on this and asking God to, to give us insight into this, to show us who we really are and how we have responded. What is my story? Have I truly encountered Jesus? What difference is this actually making in my life? 
Now, I want to be careful here because there's a way to take this that makes it sound like a, just a beat-down message, right? Like you come here on Sunday and you think you're a Christian. I'm coming, coming here and just laying the smack down on you, hammering you down, saying, well, you need to think about yourself. Well, that, that's not the goal. The goal here is not to beat you down or to discourage you. Here's what I hope happens instead. I hope that together we, we get a, a bigger picture of what church is all about and a bigger picture of what the Christian life is really all about. Because here's the thing. If this is just something that you come and do on Sunday mornings, I mean, how lame is that? I mean, think about it. There are other things that you could be doing right now that could be really enjoyable things. If this is just a, a gathering that you do, a religious thing that you do, a social thing that you do, you can find other options. I mean, you could be sleeping in right now. You could be making a big breakfast for your family or your friends. I mean, you could be going for a, a bike ride along the lake or something. There are other things that you could do. If this is simply just something you do, a, a weekly gathering that you do, I mean, go join the Rotary Club or the Optimists or, or start a book club or do something else, Right? Next week, everyone's going to be gone, but I'm glad you're here. I really am. But, but let's just make sure that we're clear on this. Church is so much more than just an, an hour a week. What Jesus is talking about, being a disciple of Jesus, is so much more than, than that. And it's easy for us to shrink down what we're talking about here. But Jesus is pointing to this, this fact that the gospel is powerfully transformative. It's not just a weekly gathering. It is something that changes every aspect of your life. In our life groups this week, we're going to look at different stories of what happens when people encounter Jesus. So we're, we're going to get in the Gospels, look at the biographies of Jesus' life, and see what happens. And no two stories are alike, but what we see again and again is that when someone meets Jesus, it changes everything for their life. It's a revolutionary experience that turns lives upside down and shakes them up. And what I want us to see is that those stories are not just things that happened in the past. The message of the kingdom of God, the good news that God sent Jesus to rescue and to redeem us, that continues to spread around the globe today, and it continues to spread through our neighborhoods in a way that will leave an indelible mark on everyone who encounters it. There's this great passage in Isaiah that's really captured my imagination over the past year, and I hope it gives an, a new expectation of what this is all about. Isaiah 35, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Why? Because your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And this is the result. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool for the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. So, so picture the most desolate possible land. Picture like Death Valley or the Badlands or something like that. No visible growth. Nothing that's anything there, just desolate and then suddenly bursting into bloom like a, like a rainforest or a jungle, like all these vibrancy of, of green and yellow and red and orange, all this life, all this vibrancy coming out of that. That's not just coming to church. It's a picture of the world made new, and that's what this is all about. I want you to think about what that looks like in Lunnington, in Mason County, in, in our time. What does it look like when, when God's kingdom comes, when that renewal and that redemption starts to take root here? 
Think of the areas of, of our community that are crying for new life. What does it look like when God's healing comes, when his redemption comes? And there are good things happening here. I've, I've noticed so much more optimism in, in the past year versus eight years ago when my family first moved here. We've come a long way, but there is still so much brokenness and so much heartache. Are people here, that your neighbors, the people that you interact with, are they really marked by what God's kingdom brings, love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Is that what the people around you are, are marked by? Do you see the, the kingdom of God in them? No, there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of brokenness. We need this kind of redemption that Isaiah 35 talks about. And it's the same for the church. We've come a long way as a church too. We, we had about 120 people uh, when I first got here and less than a dozen kids. And we've, we've seen those numbers jump way up, but... What I really love about our, our community is that we recognize that if that's just getting more people into this building, then we haven't done anything. That's not our mission. Our mission is not just to gather people together and to help them come on Sunday mornings. It is to make more and stronger disciples of Jesus. And we will not be content until we continue to try to be effective at actually making disciples, people who are deeply rooted in Christ and growing in him and then having that vibrancy of a totally transformed life that is then affecting every area of life and reaching out to our neighborhoods from that, from the gospel, not just from what is in ourselves. And that's how this beautiful picture of the world made new from Isaiah 35 begins to happen. That's how whole neighborhoods and whole communities are transformed. It starts with very ordinary people like you and me encountering Jesus in a life-transforming way. When we actually meet Jesus, when we encounter the Savior and the King of the world, the message of Jesus then shakes up our lives and it begins to transform us and to bear fruit. The beauty of the gospel captures our heart and that the Holy Spirit transforms our lives so that we become people who love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and who love our neighbors so much that we give sacrificially of our time and of our energy energy to serve them and to point them to Jesus. Now we're going to continue to dig into this in the next few weeks, and, and this week we'll dig in in life groups and in our times of personal worship. Next week we're going to look more specifically at how we actually do this. But, but for now, let's raise our expectation for what church is all about. It's not coming to a building for an hour a week. It is meeting Jesus and being transformed forever, every aspect of our lives. Jesus calls us to so much more, and it's so much more beautiful and so much more satisfying than we can imagine until we actually meet him. So let's pray right now that God would do that in our hearts through the power of, of his word and his gospel. Please pray with me. God, we thank you that there is more. I, I confess in my own heart that the times when we, we settle for so much less, God, forgive us for our foolishness. We thank you so much for this great message of Jesus, who he is and what he does. And I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, raise in us a, a true expectation of what it means to encounter him. We can't manufacture this on our own, but we desperately want this for ourselves and for our community. We hear about what redemption looks like. God, captivate our hearts with the beauty of your gospel. Do in us the work of your spirit to transform us, to produce the fruit of a life that's encountered Jesus. And then use us to continue to spread that message throughout our community in our time. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
I want you to see that, that this is not just something that is, that is abstract and something that we talk about. And I want you to see that this is not just something that happened in, in the days of Jesus, this transformation that we're talking about. And it's not something that's just for like super spiritual, amazing people uh, as well. So I've asked uh, Joey Anderson to come and, and share a story of how he has encountered Jesus. So Joey, come on up now. If you know Joey, you know that he is a, an amazing person. But uh, you also have to know that he's not a perfect person. And he'll be the first to admit that. He's an ordinary person who met Jesus. And so I'm looking forward to having him share his story of, of how that happened. Thank you, Pastor Gary. Um, so today, um, in a short time, I want to share a little bit of my story, my testimony. Um, to the best of my ability, I want to share with you the grandness of encountering Jesus and the impact on one's life that encounter has. Um, so first, I want to talk about um, how I was raised. See, I was born and raised in a Christian home. I accepted Jesus into my heart at the young age of five, making pancakes with my mom in the kitchen. I was loved by two parents and cared for by two siblings. But like many of us know, we all have our roadblocks. We all have the things that tear us down. At the young age of nine years old, actually it was the day after my ninth birthday, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I can remember laying awake at night and yelling and and screaming at God, saying, why didn't you give this to my brother and my sister? Why me? What, I, I look back and I ask myself, what drove me to that? Perhaps being only nine years old, I was petrified of a disease I was just told that I would have for the rest of my life. I knew nothing about it, and so it scared me. Perhaps even under all that terror, though, I was selfish. I saw my life changed and shattered by something I never wanted, and I cared little for who else it could or would affect. I just wanted it gone. I would not have told you that then, perhaps because I, didn't, I wouldn't have realized it. But today I recognize that even when I didn't know, I was a depraved being desperately in need of hope. I grew up being the best and brightest student in Sunday school and youth group. I loved answering questions in profound ways that would get the teachers, my parents, and my peers approval. I can remember vividly sitting in front of Enoch Olson and during Sunday school and hearing him tell me that I was going to move mountains. Now, if you know anything about the incredible man of God that Enoch Olson is, you know how special that moment was for me. See, I loved the high of getting rewarded with praise when I did the good thing or said or acted in the right way. But that was short-lived. See, when I went to public school in eighth grade... This ideal of do good things, get good things, didn't hold up. And I am both shocked and remorseful at how fast I crumbled underneath the weight of the world. This desperate need of mine to be liked and value soon morphed and twisted to show its ugly face to me. With its voracious appetite, I realized too little too late that my heart and my identity wasn't in God. It wasn't in what he thought of me. It was in what others, those around me, thought. And I ran so far and so fast away from the fold of God that my feet ached and my soul was in pieces. Anything I could get my hands on, I bought. Friendship, drugs, lust, 
anything. In the panic of losing my foothold in God, I tried to grasp on to anything that would slow my fall. But instead of slowing my descent, it only increased the velocity in which I fell away from God. Until freshman year. Here I am in my bedroom with the means to watch to take my life. Tears running down my face and I am waging the final battle in my heart and in my soul. The weakest part of me, so desperate to hold on to hope, fighting against Satan, manifested as depression and anxiety in my life. I cannot speak or go into detail of everything that went on in that upstairs bedroom. All I know is that I am here. At the end of my freshman year, I had my first encounter with Jesus in my life. At a youth conference called ATF, in the middle of the peers that I so desperately vied for attention from, I fell down on my knees. Not just from the weight of my sin, but the weight of my sin in the presence of an all-powerful, all-consuming God. In that moment, I knew the truth behind the lie that plagued my life. I was never going to be enough for others because I placed too high of priority on that. But me, in all of my sin, in all of my anger, in all of my depravity, I was loved and covered by the blood of Jesus. And God did, and God does, love me more intensely than I have ever been loved and values me more than I have ever been valued. And in that moment, the seed that was planted in the depths of my soul so long ago sprouted and popped its head above the ground. And the God who was faithful to plant that seed was and is faithful to water it every day. It is the faithfulness of God that has placed the greatest burden in my life that I have ever been blessed to carry. This is not a burden I hate, nor do I wish to be rid of it. See, it is the burden of freedom, a saving from death to life, from darkness to light. If this gift is so great, then why would I call it a burden? Because it demands of me action. It demands that I not sit idly by as the world loses its way to the power of the prince of darkness. It demands that I not remain silent in the presence of sinners like me, who need to know the good news. It demands of me even when I feel like I have nothing to give. But I give it all. I give it all I have, my life and my death. And that's what I plan to do. See, so where does that lead us to today? Today I work with the youth here at church because I am burdened by the idea that growing up they may miss the grandness of the gospel and the glory of the Father. I lead a small group in church because I am burdened by the reality that our walk of faith can often feel like the loneliest road, like a desert. And I have been there, and I never want to leave a brother or sister there. I preach in front of you any opportunity I have because I am burdened by the reality that we often don't understand the weight of our sins in the presence of an all-consuming, all-powerful, just God. I would give my life for you to see that and grasp it with all you have. To close, I believe that the song Loving My Jesus by Casting Crowns sums up the great cry of my heart in the face of a beautiful, loving, wrathful, perfect God. And it goes like this. When all is said and done, when my last song's been sung, 
and I stand face to face with the one who gave all for me. May all I have to show be all that mattered most, making your great name known. Let this be my only legacy. Loving my Jesus, showing my scars, telling my story of how mercy can reach you where you are. And I pray the whole world hears that the cry of my heart is to see all the ones I love loving my Jesus. Thank you.